Hello, everyone, and welcome to What Is This Music? A podcast about the mysteries of musical taste, why we love the music we love and hate what we hate, and what it all means and why it matters. My name is Malcolm Fraser. Attentive listeners will have noticed a theme in the last few episodes, a recurring theme. I usually try to mix up the musical genres that I discuss with guests, but the last few episodes have focused on punk rock music, to a lesser extent metal, but uh, heavy music, extreme music, whatever you want to call it, music that is loud and aggressive and uh, not appealing to, let's say, the average ear, but very appealing to a certain type of personality. And I've been trying to dig in a bit to what that means, what that personality is, what it represents. And while I was researching this, I came across the work of Steve Byrne. Steve is a psychologist and professor at Alfred University in New York State. And he's also uh, a metal fan who writes on his blog, Metal Health Matters, about the psychology of metal and punk fandom. So when I found out about that, I knew that I had to speak to him. Um, this is an in-depth interview. We get into the weeds of stuff. Um, but to me, it's a really important kind of pivotal interview in this whole project. So I hope you find it as interesting as I did. And I'll see you on the other side. So Steve Byrne, thank you for talking to me. Yeah, no problem. So you are a psychologist and a professor and a fan of heavy music. Yes. All true. All true. Can you tell me a bit about, I mean, I came across your project, Metal Health Matters. Yeah. And I was just doing some research. Uh, can you tell me about the origin of your project and what inspired it? Sure. This had, this has kind of been an idea for for years before the, the project actually kind of got legs. Um, but, you know, for, geez, for as long as I could remember, um, you know, again, I've been like a lifelong fan of heavy music. Um, when I started training to be a psychologist, when I went to grad school and then did all my clinical training as well, um, I still, I got really interested then in like how these two worlds kind of, kind of meet up because, you know, I could think about my own kind of personal journey with music and what it meant to me when I, especially when I was younger and, you know, a lot of the same stuff you'll hear from other people, like, you know, like, it was like a way to connect with people. This was like a safe space for me. I, I found like my, my tribe that way, so to speak. And, you know, then the music itself like really kind of like does something to me. And, I, and again, the more I studied psychology, the more I started thinking like, how does this apply to kind of, you know, the, the stuff that I'll be working with, right? The people who are like looking for some kind of, you know, some, just some kind of relief from, from something, whether it's a mental health problem, whether it's just everyday stress, you know, it's like, if this works for me in these ways, and it probably works for other people that way, I want to kind of dive in and try to figure out a little bit more about, about why, you know, because it's not really, you know, an established scientific, like, you know, empirical um, kind of like field, not that much. Like there's a few studies out there that make these connections between, you know, heavy music and like emotion processing and things like that. But there's not a lot, you know, and, and it's a really, it's a hard thing to study. You can't really quantify music. It's, it's a very subjective kind of thing, right? We're touching on, on stuff that is, is kind of hard to define, a little hazy, but we have this kind of like emotional vocabulary for it. 
so at some point I kind of, I kept having these ideas like, yeah, I want to try to explain to people and like, and then also learn more simultaneously about what it is about this. Like, what is it about music that is helpful to people? What is it about heavy music that kind of really speaks to some people while is is very off-putting to others? Um, you know, like why, why is this a thing and, and why am I not the only one who feels this way, right? There's like, there's millions of people who, who feel the same way and no one can quite, I don't know, put words to it in a really scientific way. And I'm not saying I can either, but it just made me really curious. So, um, at one point I had an option to propose a university honors class and at least at my university, this is a way to, um, I don't know, it's, they, they kind of describe it as academic play, right? So let's find, you know, something that you'd like to, to teach. And really, you know, it's not like a lecture. It's more of a kind of a discussion-based kind of thing um, that, you know, is maybe multidisciplinary, but is also something that is just not going to get covered in normal coursework, right? This is, um, you know, something out of the ordinary. And I'm like, okay, well, here's an idea. I've got this. And I proposed this like psychology of, of heavy metal and punk rock class. And there was enough interest in it that it ran. So I got to then immediately figure out, it's like, oh, okay, now that this is real, what do I actually do? Like, how do I structure this? How do I, how do I talk about these things and, and engage them in that? So, you know, I kind of thought about like, what are those like broad headings about like what heavy music and like Ben punk rock does for people right so stuff like you know like rebellion and and like expressing strong emotion and aggression and violence conformity and non-conformity and then there's like multicultural issues to it too right i mean it's a it's an overwhelmingly white male kind of thing and does it have to be that way and and, and the politics of it right like there's like for instance, I the last show I saw was just a couple of days ago, and I got to see Rage Against the Machine, oh, yeah. and uh, and that was amazing, right? Because it's like a bucket list thing. I never got to see them when I was younger. I, I didn't have my opportunity back then, um, and and one of my my buddies who went with me, um, we're not necessarily similar in our political ideologies, and I was really just kind of like noticing his reactions to a lot of the really kind of like progressive and in your face messages that, that happen at a rage show. Um, and it was really cool actually. And, and he had a great time. <laughs> so, um, but all these topics, yeah, we're, we're part of this. And, um, and I, I kind of use the class as an excuse to, to indulge all these like kind of like little mini academic projects I had in my mind. Um, and it started from there. Cool. So you describe your project as being about, the psychology of metal and punk. And you've yeah. talked about this just a, a little bit about, you know, the, the, the two genres as having a bit of a, a similar appeal in the ways that, that you outlined. Um, do you see any differences between the two genres audiences, uh, like on a, on a psychosocial level? Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's kind of hard to say, right? I think sometimes it depends on the band and there's a tremendous amount of crossover, especially with the hardcore stuff. You know, um, you because yeah. I think the that kind of aggressive, chaotic feel to, um, yeah, to, to these kind of hardcore bands is a lot of what also appeals with maybe some more traditional metal bands for some people. Um, but you know, similarities, right? These are people who do not fit in the mainstream, not usually. 
you know, like, uh, yeah, geez, I, one of the bands I saw, like, last summer was, uh, was Fever 333, and, um, again, it was, like, ama- an amazing, chaotic kind of experience, and, you know, and as I go to these shows, I'm like, I'm like, I'm looking around and I'm like listening to people between sets and stuff like that, just trying to figure out what, what people are about quietly. <laughs> um, you know, and I, I think everyone is there because they, they want music that is not necessarily just like spoon fed to them, right? That like, we're not going to say like, here's, here's a, here's a melody and a hook and we're going to repeat that forever until you get tired of it. But, like, here's stuff that you have to, like, look for. Here's things that you need to, like, listen for with a more discerning, critical ear to find those, those like, dynamic changes and those melodies in there, you know. And, you know, and again, you think, what kind of person is looking for that? You know, and it's maybe someone who's, you know, just doesn't identify with traditional mainstream ideals, uh, who, you know, I don't know, is, is just a little bit more interested in things that are, I don't know, unusual or different that break the mold, right? Maybe a little disillusioned with kind of traditional things and things that have that mass appeal. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's, you know, that's very true. Um, and, uh, and it's interesting that you should talk about the elements that, that you have to listen for or be more discerning because that's something obviously when, with any dissonant music, you know, on the surface appeal or on, on the surface, it lacks an appeal for what music is supposedly objectively uh, appealing to the human ear. So it says something about the audience that they are seeking out uh, something different than that. Um, right. I, I right. asked about metal and punk out of curiosity because you know you uh, you use them together, and quite a lot of the research on music and personality puts them in the same category of like intense music, which is true as far as it goes. But you tell a punk that like metal and punk are the same, you're going to, you're going to yeah. get an earful. Yeah, no, that's, yeah, that's very true. It's, it's very true, you know, and there's, I mean, and it's like a little bit of that gatekeeping stuff too, that like, no, 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 we're, we're kind of our own thing over here. So we want to like find the ways that we're different. Um, but, you know, I think there's maybe a little bit more that unites <laughs> these kind of two two genres and their, their fan base. But, but yeah, it's, I mean, I've always thought of punk as, as a lifestyle in addition, you know, like these are, um, you know, some of like the prototypical figures are, are unabashedly afraid to be themselves, uh, unafraid to be themselves. You know, I think of like someone like, like fat Mike from, from no effects, who's been like, you know, wearing, wearing women's clothing on stage and in his personal life for like 25 years. And, doesn't care what some random stranger on the internet thinks of him and i think that's like an amazing quality (laughs) yeah do you think that by uh extension that implies that the mainstream audiences do have a fear of being themselves yeah you know i mean i think that probably can be said i mean i think that can be said universally right just outright but i i do think that that might be an element of this, right? Because one of the tasks that I, I kind of knew I had when I taught that class was that I know not everyone coming into this class is going to be like neck deep in the music. Like some people have, you know, maybe a cursory understanding of like, oh yeah, my uncle likes Iron Maiden or, or something like that. And they don't really know anything about it. So one of my thoughts is like, how do I kind of help people 
I don't see some of these things that, you know, might capture some elements of their personality a little bit more than popular music, right? That, you know, is there a part of this person that has these kind of like emotions that don't really get connected to by, you know, by traditional pop music? Is there something a little bit deeper somewhere? Because, you know, I generally there is, you know, it's like there's a part of us that's afraid there's a part of us that's you know sad there's a part of us that gets angry and and resentful toward ourselves toward others towards our society you know and is that all being expressed by traditional pop music no it's hard to say you know so i i try to kind of find those things that are are like i don't know like gateways to something a little bit more intense or extreme um, that capture some of those to kind of help people through so to speak. Yeah. yeah, well, I mean, it's interesting you talked about Rage Against the Machine and a lot of my friends my age are, are you know, either revisiting them or going to see them for the first time, as you said, as a, a bucket list thing. I mean, they're pretty heavy musically yeah. and they're very in your face with their politics, but they're, you know, they were very popular. Mm-hmm. They, were, they were as mainstream as you can get for that, for that kind of music. Yeah. Right. I'll always remember that uh, there was a, a MTV Video Music Awards where, where Tim, the bass player, just kind of climbed up on some structure on stage, basically disrupted the whole show for like 20 minutes until someone like pulled him down from this thing he had climbed up on. And like, yeah, they were all over MTV. They got videos. They, they won awards, you know, and, you know, and when they were, you know, new in like the early to mid 90s, yeah, they captured something in, in, you know, especially in my generation. Um, you know, this was like middle and high school for me. And, mm-hmm. right, it's like, yeah, you know what? Like, all of our, like, parents or, like, you know, that boomer generation, you know, don't understand this stuff. They don't care about these, like, social causes. And here's a band that's not just bringing attention to that, but doing it with, you know, this really cool fusion of multiple genres, right? I mean, like, Zach is not a traditional heavy metal vocalist by any stretch of the imagination. Tom Morello is a wizard on the guitar and doing things you had never heard before with, like, you know, effects pedals and his volume knob and and, and disconnecting his, his cable and just jamming it into his hand is, like, one of the solos in that first album. I forget which one exactly. Um... You know, but it's like this is something cool and new and it's got this real aggressive feel to it and it's very far from anything that that my parents' generation ever listened to. And that was a big part of the appeal. For sure. Yeah, I'm just, uh, I mean, I'm kind of like, you know, drifting all over the place yeah. here, but just, uh, I mean, you, you describe, you know, the core of the appeal of extreme music or heavy music as being a distinctiveness from the mainstream. But I mean... When I was growing up, metal was huge. And then, yeah. you know, when I hit high school, you know, with with Nirvana getting huge and all of the, the alternative rock, mm-hmm. it was sort of like a breakthrough for, for punk in a way. Um, so, I mean, how, how outside of the mainstream is this music really? I mean, obviously there are, you know, subgenres that get more and more extreme. Yeah, um, but I guess maybe it does it point to something in in uh, a larger part of the audience that they tap that it taps into. Yeah, right. Because if you think about it, there's kind of these like tiers of social acceptability with 
with these, you know, relatively household name bands, right? So, like, everyone knows Metallica, for instance, right? And one of the things that Metallica does really well is that they have amazing songs, right? Like, musically, there's stuff that's fantastic in every single album here, you know, and there's, you know, there's cool structures to it, right? There's there's cool guitar souls and amazing riffing, and, you know, and, and it creates, like, just songs that I think speak to a lot of people, right? But then yeah. if you go a level deeper than that, right? This is, and you know, and they, you know, that's what they can sell out stadiums, right? But then you have these like smaller bands that people generally don't hear of if they're not already like really invested in these scenes that is kind of, I, I think in a way, taking some of those like gateway elements of like, what does somebody who kind of went from like, you know, their parents' music into a band like Metallica, you know, what did, what did, what did they appreciate about that? Like, what is it that speaks to them about it? Is it like, you know, like the lyrical content? Is it, you know, that, that James Hetfield right hand, the rhythm guitar, um, you know, is it kind of the dynamic of it? And then is that enough for them? Maybe they want to seek out something beyond that, that taps at one or more of those elements and maybe in a more extreme way. Right. Um, you know, because it eventually, you know, you find your way to bands like, you know, back then it was like Pantera was like a level beyond that, right? Because Phil Anselmo singing was, is, is not for everyone. Um, you know, the, the drums are way fast and amazing, right? But again, it's not for everyone. There's a lot of people who kind of got off the ride at Metallica. It's like, yeah, I like Henry Sandman, but I don't, but that's cool. And, you know, I'll take it for what it's worth. And, and they kind of stop there. But then, you know, bands yeah. like that and then, you know. For me, it was Lamb of God. Lamb of God was like a good gateway band for me too, because that got me, I guess, more used to the the, the harsh vocals, um, which is a big part of of kind of the more extreme subgenres for sure. Yeah, did I answer? I'm not sure if I answered your question in there. Well, I mean, I, as we speak, I realize there's so many questions, and it's as you said off the top, it's so hard to pin down the answers. But I like, you know, we're, we're circling around something. Um, so. Getting back to your work, can you talk a little bit about the nature of your research uh, in this area? Yeah, so it's, I don't do like formal academic research in this. I'm not, because I'm not really seeking to, um, I don't know, to prove to my academic discipline that that this is something that we need to study more of. I mean, while I, I do think so, it's not really my aim. My, my aim is really to to try to kind of introduce some more, I don't know, like explanation and, and intellectual conversation about metal to, to a, a, a wider audience. Someone that is not going to just, you know, randomly pick up a, an academic psychology journal because, you know, no one reads that stuff anyway. But some, something a little bit more, I mean, no offense, Steve, right? Because, I mean, we do this too. This is part of what, but I really wanted to, I don't know, kind of use what I thought was the, those appreciable elements of the music um, to kind of show other people like, Hey, this is good stuff. And it's more than what you think. Come on into the fold here. Like, let's, let's keep this music happening and keep these, these shows like sold out, you know, and, and build things here. So, yeah. I'm interested in what you said about bringing people in. What, what do you think that people don't understand about the music or the fandom that they should yeah, well, I think with the with the music, it's it just feels like it's like too much for some people, right? It's 
it's too loud, it's too fast, too aggressive. Um, that singer sounds too angry. I don't know. I, I don't get it. Um, but I guess maybe my, my own mission here is to kind of show like, well, yeah, you know what? You just sit with that for a minute though. And maybe you'll hear some parts of this that really do kind of tap at some of those things in your own life that might be um, unmet needs or, or not very well met needs. You know, like, do you, is there something that happens when you sit with this music for a little bit longer that, I don't know, kind of connects to those deeper places? Like, do you, do you kind of like, and are you really into like maybe the darker lyrical content of stuff? You know, same way that some people like horror movies, you know, the contents of those horror movies are basically like, you know, cannibal corpse songs in some ways, you know, and, and why is it that horror movies are socially acceptable things that make lots of money and are really popular, but a band's yeah, like cannibal corpse is really niche, you know, and, and they've got their own following because they've been around forever, but you know, has my, does my mother know any cannibal corpse songs? Absolutely not. <laughs> Yeah, that's a very good point. I mean, you talked about horror movies, which are still, you know, somewhat of a niche, but I mean, I think it was a show like, you know, Law and Order SVU has been on for 20 plus years, and there's some very harsh violence in that show. It's Absolutely. It's massively, you know, can't get more mainstream than that. Or right. murder mystery novels, you know, or, or even like these sort of quaint British... Uh, mystery shows that are all about murder you know yeah, but those are right. acceptable for your grandma to watch right because maybe that's that's kind of like those little things those are are indicators that again people are interested in this stuff because there's a darker side to all of us right there's these these things i mean it's it's like classic freud stuff right where like our subconscious is full of all these like aggressive and violent and sexual and like urges and thoughts about death and all these things are a part of people's reality, right? Everyone, no matter who you are, struggles with something at some point, you know, whether that's like existential dread or depression, anxiety, trauma, you name it. And this is a part of people's life. And, you know, do other outlets really give people a chance to, you know, work through their emotions through that art? Not all of them, I don't think. Not all, and not all in this way, you know. And there's more people out there suffering silently than anyone would know, right? And and because you know, I I teach this stuff. I I do therapy twice a week with, you know, I I have a couple of private practice days as well. You know, I I really get to hear these stories. I get to see kind of you know the darker, painful parts that don't get a light shined on them otherwise, you know. And maybe for a lot of people, you know things that access those those darker themes might be you know a way to just help them work through some of the hardest parts of their lives for sure um so how familiar are you with you know research on musical preference and personality is that something that you that you've that you've studied yeah i mean i i've, I've certainly read through a, a lot of it um, I, I think I, I did a job talk once talking about the kind of, uh, the personality correlates of, of musical genres. Um, like, cause in psychology, there's, there's what we call like the big five personality traits, right? So like openness to experience is like a, one of those five. And I think is one of those things that you see, for instance, like in like metal and punk rock, like these are people who generally will score very high on that domain. Right, that they want new experiences, they're willing to like try to test what their comfort zone is, things like that. 
Um, but yeah. also same with neuroticism, right? That like emotional instability at times. I mean, I think sometimes you see connections between people who are really into that stuff and have, um, you know, at least kind of like as part of their personality, you know, the, maybe a, I don't know, a, an influx of negative emotion at times or difficulty managing some stressors, you know, maybe because of, you know, a mental health problem, maybe because of situational variables, hard to tell, but there's something there that they're dealing with a lot. Yeah. What do you think it says about a personality if they score low on openness to experience? Yeah. So those people tend to be really kind of traditional, closed off to new ideas. Um, you know, and there has been a lot of research on that and, and generally it points to a lot of the same things like people who, you know, kind of go back to music, don't have very, I don't know, very non-mainstream tastes. Like if they do like music, you know, they kind of like whatever the people around them like, um, you know, they, they tend to kind of stick to kind of traditional family values. They tend to, they tend to vote Republican. Um, that's actually a pretty strong one. Um, you know, and again, it, it's not really indicative of, of progress in a way as it is just kind of seeking safety in, in the familiar. And right. for some people, you know, it's, it's not to cast a negative light on that, right? Because um, there's a function to all of this, right? Like, what does yeah. what does that actually do for people? It, it, it's got to do something. Otherwise, people wouldn't want to just stick to the tried and true. They would be willing to explore all over the place and happy to do so. And they would consider that kind of like musical or like lifestyle exploration a useful venture no matter what the outcome. But that's really sure. just not the case. I wonder, I mean, thinking about what you're saying, you know, you talk about comfort in the familiar. And yeah. of course, like as a young person, when you discover heavy music or extreme music, it's kind of like this mind blowing portal that opens up into a new way of looking at the world. Yeah. But then, you know, by the time you get into middle age, if you're mm -hmm. still just listening to that kind of music, it's, it's, it, it's, that's, it's conservative in its own way, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Cause like there's, I mean, I think some of the findings about that, that I've, I've read and not, I don't think these were, like academic findings but generally it's like yeah it's like the stuff you like when you're like around 25 or so is kind of cemented for most people right like that's your your stuff um one of the things that i noticed personally that that changed is when i started kind of advancing in my career and then uh, i have kids so when my kids were born and i kind of didn't have as many outlets in my my personal life to express all of i don't know like like quirks and like some of the darker parts of my personality right because everyone's got that um you know i was basically having to be a little bit more buttoned up and responsible because you know i've got a job i need to keep that job i have to you know <laughs> pay the rents and and keep my kids yeah. fed and 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 be you know a, for all intents and purposes a responsible person i saw my musical tastes shift to more extreme stuff mm. you know like that's when i started getting into um, like for instance, like the Dillinger escape plan, I discovered that geez, maybe when I was like 30 <laughs> when, uh, and I, I had this, like this vague memory of this cause my, actually one of my college roommates was a big fan of theirs uh, and, and mentioned this band a lot. And I think saw them a couple of times when they were in their early stages. Um, and I'm like, Oh, right. This, and I, you know, I checked it out a little bit and I'm like, yeah, like there's something about the chaos of this music, the dissonance, 
um, you know, saw some videos from live shows and like, wow, that is not a safe environment to be in. <laughs> and that's like, and that's like the appeal to all this. Like there's something now because my life is changing that I need some ways to cope using music in a different, maybe bigger, more robust kind of way. And a band like that did it for me, for sure. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, so coming back to the, uh, you know, the, the leading research about, you know, music, mm-hmm. t- taste and personality, are there, are there studies or research that your work is influenced by, or are there ones who, whose conclusions you don't agree with or, uh, or you see differently? No, it's, um, kind of every time I, I, I see an alert for, you know, like some kind of new scholarly article on a musical preference, especially about heavy music, it's always, it's heartening because a lot of it is, is really just about, you know, like there's, I think a research team from Australia, I can't remember exactly where, I think they're Australian, um, but have done a bit of this and kind of the finding that kind of keeps coming out and essentially making headlines later is that, you know, this is a way for people to process difficult emotions. You know, it's like lending scientific legitimacy to this theory that we've kind of had for, for years and years and years that like, yeah, this is an outlet for people. This is a way for us to kind of connect with, you know, dark, aggressive, scary stuff in a way that's helpful, that basically helps us not be terrible people, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, like I'm reminded of a, there was a, there's a sociologist out of, um, I think also out of Canada. His name is Sam Dunn. If you've never seen his stuff, he's, he's actually kind of doing a lot of the uh, kind of similar things to what I want to do, where he's, uh, he's, he actually has a, a company called Banger Films and he's oh, done yeah, a couple yeah, of documentaries. So yeah. I'm quite familiar with, uh, with, with his work and their work and the metal, the metal docs. Um, they're pretty great. Yeah, because I remember because in, in one of his, his um, he did this series on VH1, I think, and in one of them there was a, he had an interview with Gary Holt from Exodus and Slayer, and and it, it sounds, I mean, it does, it's, doesn't sound great to like the mass public out there, but what Gary said in that thing was like, yeah, you know, I write songs about killing people so I don't kill people. You know, and I know it's partly tongue in cheek, right? Because he's not going to go murder anyone, right? No one. But that idea, like, yeah, it's like, this is a way for me to kind of access all of the most aggressive parts of me and work through it. And, you know, and I follow the guy on Instagram and I actually talked to him a couple of times because we had, I, I did one of these like Zoom happy hours once, mm-hmm. uh, which was really, really great. It was him and Scott Ian from Anthrax and then and Dean Delray. You know, and he's like the most chill down to get down to earth guy. He's got, you know, he's got grandkids. He <laughs> goes on vacation like a normal person and he's got a family and a house and uh, he's no crazy person. He's no criminal. He's not a violent individual because there's a part of creating and, and consuming this music that you know, processes it all. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, of course, uh, I, I, I think about that kind of thing and, and you talked about having kids and this is slightly off topic, but I think about that a lot because, you know, my son is, uh, is seven. He loves, you know, violent movies, violent video games. And we struggle a bit with like how much of that is healthy catharsis, how much of that is <laughs> warping his mind. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. tough. Yeah. I mean that, there was a bit of an aside, but I, 
it does lead into my next question, which is when I was researching some of the the academic work about heavy music, I came across this term problem music. I don't know mm. if you've encountered that term before. It's, it's maybe like a bit old fashioned, like it was used more in like the 90s and early 2000s. And it's basically associating certain types of music to, to antisocial personality disorders, uh, you know, namely, of course, like metal, punk, and mm -hmm. also hip hop. Um, and I was, I mean, I was a bit, you know, I was a bit disturbed by this, you know, association between music taste and sort of like, a, you know, criminality, basically. Yeah, um, yeah. I thought, is that, you know, is that an excessively kind of conservative or reactionary uh, response to that? Or is there a grain of truth in there somewhere? I'm not sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think in general, it's pretty reactionary, you know, and it's it's kind of a trend we've seen, geez, like forever in heavy music and something that's kind of uh, that I actually wrote about recently for, for a piece on Loudwire um, is that whole idea from back in like the 1980s, the satanic panic, yeah. you know, right? It's like, like, ooh, like there's all these things happening in society. We don't understand it. So let's find these elements that we can kind of pinpoint that say, here's a cause for it. We're going to try to oversimplify a very complicated problem, right? Like why do people, um, you know, commit violent crimes? Why do, why do people get into like this, like dark, eerie, scary stuff that's, that's not mainstream, you know, it's like, ah, here's an easy target because, you know, they embrace it essentially. They, well, they embrace the aesthetics of it, right? They were co-opting, you know, in that way, like, you know, religious themes and, and kind of calling our, naming our bands after that stuff because it invokes, you know, often just like power, right? Yeah. It's like that idea of like, you know, who's, who's more powerful than like, than a God who can smite an entire village, who's scarier than, than Satan. Um, what's, yeah. what's a worse place to be than hell? Like, and the, the, let's use that imagery that people are familiar with, right? And do it and, and make, make art out of it. So when it comes to then like, you know, the mass, especially the mass media trying to find angles to kind of, you know, answer people's fears, essentially, it's like, let's find something that's, that's an easy target. And, and I think it's, it's that, um, you know, same with, with hip hop, uh, you know, and, um, you know, in any kind of music, that's just not mainstream, right? It's like, we're going to look for that. We're going to look you know, like the Columbine shooting, for instance, right? Like, oh, those kids liked Marilyn Manson, so therefore, like, he's our new target. Um, you know, rather than asking what else was happening in these kids' lives, what else was, was going on that would lead someone to, you know, commit a heinous crime? You know, and, and maybe, this is maybe a little bit more of the, the controversial take on it, like, what, what would have happened if these people didn't have an outlet for that at all? That if there was no music for them? that really spoke to them, like what, what kind of awful outcomes could occur then? It's, it's hard to say, cause this is already really awful. Yeah. Um, but you know, there's nothing that's ever said that, that there's a, you know, causation behind this at, at all, nor, nor do people ask questions when the answer isn't like metal or punk rock or hip hop or anything like that. Mm -hmm. You know, like country music doesn't get implicated in this, does it? <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah. Um, so, uh, in a similar vein, uh, you know, as a psychologist, I'm sure you're familiar with the, with the 
term uh, oppositional defiant disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, when I came across that concept, I immediately felt this kind of defensive reaction because I was like, well, I mean, all the punks I know are basically, basically mm-hmm. their whole yeah. personality and culture is grounded in opposition and defiance. I was like, yeah. is that a disorder or is that a healthy resistance to authority and conformity? Right. So um, so the, the actual disorder is something diagnosed exclusively in children. And the real kind of like real world picture of this is, you know, a, a child who in a really disruptive way, like refuses to comply with, with the adults in their life, whether it's parents, teachers, or, or other people. And and in such a way that, you know, they're generally, you know, like a, a lot of like arguments and fights at home, they're not doing well in school, or right? there's like a real, um, like negative outcome to this somewhere. Um, you know, a big difference between that and like someone's healthily questioning authority, uh, right. you know, um, which again, it tends to be, you know, something that's a little bit more common in, in, in older kids. Like the more you learn about the world and you start figuring out like, well, why do, why do we go to church every week? Why, why do mom and dad vote for that particular political party? You know, why, why do we have to do everything just like our neighbors are doing? You know, and those questions tend to come out of maybe a, a more advanced cognitive, um, cognitive place when, you know, teenagers generally are, are a little bit more able to, to consider that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. And, and then in general, we don't tend to diagnose teenagers with that disorder. It's usually young kids. Um, so, but yeah, but there needs to be that, like that healthy questioning of authority and challenging of authority. Otherwise society never progresses. You know, we're just stuck doing the same thing in a loop over and over again. Um, you know, and I, I think the, the the word disorder there is really, yeah, it's just about like how healthy is this? Like, I, I hope my kids, you know, call me on my on my bullshit sometimes. And, yeah. um, you know, it's like, yeah, it's like, why are we doing this the same way over and over again? Right. Like, that's a good question. We shouldn't. But are they doing it in a way that's going to like ruin our family vacation and make them fail out of school? That's a different story, right? You wrote something really interesting uh, on your blog about the similarity between musical dynamics and psychological dynamics. Can you, uh, can you unpack that a bit? Yeah. I I think one of those things from, um, from a psychological perspective, and I assume maybe also from just a musical perspective is that, you know, for something, for a piece of, of music or, especially to be interesting, it's, it's got to have some, some dynamics to it, right? It can't just be flat and boring. Um, you know, no good music is like that, right? There's, there's shifts in, you know, in tone and pace and volume and, and all of these things that, that make something really, really interesting, you know, and, and the same is true with people's lives that, you know, like what what happens when when people are bored it's it's because you know there's like nothing interesting on the horizon nothing interesting happening now and we all need to kind of feed our our dopamine system by by kind of seeing these these kind of rises and falls and and meeting challenges so to speak you know and and i think that's essentially what what good music should 
should do because it reflects people's reality and it kind of feeds our neurochemistry in a way that that's pleasing to us you know that you know exciting music whether that's exciting because like we really like the lyrics or because there's like the really quiet part and then it gets really loud and then really quiet again or or anything you know is a reflection of of what we want from our from our actual lives you know we want adventure we want excitement we want fun um you know and and, and those parallels I, I think are are really what what we look for you know and and even in heavy music even the most extreme music um you know with few exceptions i i think have some dynamic to it that that makes it really interesting you know like you know whether that's i don't know it's it's a silly example because it's from years ago and it's like one of these like one hit wonder bands um band was called hum and the song was called stars and it was like one of these things was like on alternative radio and like you know the mid 90s or whatever for a long time and one of the coolest things i ever thought about that is like again it's got this this neat little like kind of like quiet clean guitar part and you know some clean vocals that don't really make a lot of sense Uh, and then all of a sudden there's this kind of like explosion and it changes the riff and and the tempo increases and I'm like oh this is cool and like and I thought like what is it about that that I like and, and you know and other people like it too it's a, it's a popular song all of a sudden for a little bit and generally when people know that band that's the one song they know and I'm like yeah like because that's that, that's exciting it's like the same feeling you get you know if you're you know you know, playing or watching sports, if you're, if you're gambling, it's like all these things that kind of get the dopamine stuff rushing right. is, is a similar thread that you'll see in, in some of these, some of these things, you know, yeah. other forms of music, the, you have to like look a little bit more for, for those dynamics, right? Like, but even in a, a Slayer song, there's going to be variations in tempo. There's going to be, there's going to be some quiet parts here and there and you'll find it if you look, but you got to look for it sometimes. Um, so you, um, uh, you talk about the idea that heavy music in your words serves as a way to avoid emotional pain. Um, and you call, you call that a controversial theory. Why do you think that it might be controversial? Well, I don't know. I, I think to some people, depending, so I think there's like two different mechanisms by which people kind of see music, right? There's people who kind of listen to sad or angry music because they feel sad or angry and that's like that connection there you know um and then i think maybe the controversial piece which i might have overstated in retrospect because i think i wrote that thing a few years ago is really about you know the idea that some people like ooh, doesn't that make you angry doesn't that make you sad Mm -hmm. and i don't at least I, i think there's to most, to well, not to most people, but to the people who process it in that that former way, right? That they connect to this and it helps them. It's like no, it doesn't. It actually, it's really awesome to know that there's somebody out there who's like putting words and music to my feelings, you know. And now I don't have to be alone with all these dark, depressing thoughts because there's somebody giving a voice to that. And look, there's a lot of other people out there who like that too, and they probably feel the same way. And that helps, right? Because things, something like depression, for instance, it is, it's this condition where when you're in the depths of it, you feel utterly hopelessly alone, mm-hmm. right? That, you know, why does someone 
and contemplate suicide because they're not seeing how they mean anything to other people or they're, they're, you know, someone else's hope doesn't mean anything to them because like, no, they don't get it. Like they don't know what it's like to feel this way or be me, you know, and music for them can be a sort of connection and pull them out of this. And we're like, no, look, there's other people who feel this way. You are not alone. And when you find something musically that fits that, that profile for you, it's like, it can be life-saving to, I mean, I know it sounds like I'm overstating it, but you'll hear countless stories from people who are like, yeah, you know what? I've, I've struggled really hard with things. And then, you know, I found a community in in heavy music or, you know, I, there's some artists that really speak to me that I need to hear when I'm feeling at my worst. And I think that's, that's the mechanism by which it happens. Yeah. That's absolutely true. Um, so Getting back into the, the community aspect, you talk about uh, heavy music, um, you say it, quote, works by establishing a test that others need to pass. Yeah. Um, why do you think that's so important? And I, that's that's not unique to heavy music, but it seems it does seem particularly sometimes uh, acute in, a, in, in our communities. Yeah, right. There's a, there's still a lot of that gatekeeping stuff that happens. And, and so I don't want to use the term test like that. But essentially, you know, it's it's like you got to you gotta be able to tell, like, are these people actually like like me? Do they are they going to be the people who who kind of support me? Or are they going to be the people who tear me down? Because a lot of people get torn down by other folks in their life. Right. I mean, bullying exclusion or being part of a marginalized group you're you're feeling that a lot you know and when it comes to music then that expresses heightened emotion uh, or has lyrical content that is not just about you know like partying and getting laid and stuff like that you know it's like okay are these people like for real you know like let's let's figure it out because I, if i'm gonna like invest and trust in this I want to know that I feel safe to do so and not that I'm running a risk of, of being exposed as, as some kind of, of imposter or mm. being told that I don't belong yet again in another group. Um, so in a way, right, it's like, can you, if you know that someone can handle something that's beyond the mainstream, you ask, okay, what does that say about their personality? Well, are they, maybe that's the openness piece again, right? That they're open to new ideas. Maybe then they'd be open to the fact that it's like, yeah, I've got my struggles or I'm not the same as everybody else and that's okay. You know, yeah. like that, that it's like we pass the test there that like you're cool with stuff that's weird. I'm weird. So therefore we're okay. Yeah, absolutely. There's an irony there though, I find, because you talk about, you know, wanting to make sure you're not exposed as an imposter, but then right. often there seems to be in that kind of boundary policing of genres or, or fan communities, there is a bit of a, of a judgment involved there, like sort of wanting to, wanting to... Yeah, there's gatekeeping that happens all over the place. Yeah, yeah. And is that just a, 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 a human thing? Sort of, yeah. You know, um, it's it's one of the worst parts I, I think of, of of the world of heavy music because like everyone's if we're all an outsider, why are we trying to, you know, not let other people in to, you know, kind of share the parts of themselves that that resonate with that. Like, mm -hmm. 
as you say that, it makes me think that it could be a flip side to the connection we feel through the music. Uh, it's you know wanting to be sure yeah. that the that that the that the person truly does understand where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. Right, because uh, everyone's been hurt before by someone or something, right? And you know, it's like you don't want to repeat these painful things in your life. So, you know, we try to like, again, make absolutely sure it's like, yeah, these people are like us, they belong here, you know, and it has to, you know, fit the mold in a way. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I agree that it's one of the more frustrating things about the, the heavy music communities. And yet it's, it, maybe it's understandable in a way when you talk about the, you know, the core things, uh, yeah, that that bring people in, right? And then the the problematic part too is that I think sometimes it's really misinterpreted at times. Like you know, again, there are people out there who are, you know, you'll you'll see these like you know, YouTube videos, like you know, going around to concerts and like like, hey, you've got a Slipknot shirt on, name three Slipknot songs, you know, and they're basically trying to like out people as posers. Yeah, um, yeah, the fear of the poser is a is a very strange. Uh, phenomenon in right right it's like as if there's this the sense that the more that people like this the less it's going to do for me like it's going to ruin this this for me if we let those like normal people in somehow yeah yeah absolutely and i and i understand that in a way because you know again when 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 nirvana came out it was like okay this band's pretty cool they're sort of like the 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 heavy music that that we like but with a bit more pop gloss to it and then all of a sudden was like wait why are all these you know why are all the people who were making fun of us a year ago for being into punk suddenly they love it like what happened there yeah right it's like are you really like cool like this do you do you really identify with like what kurt's saying in the music or are you like hopping on the bandwagon because because all of a sudden it's like all over MTV and it's really yeah. different and exciting. And it's like, yeah, I, I need to know that we're safe here because inside there's a person who has something to lose if I like let you in, or I think I have something to lose if I let you in. And it turns out like, yeah, you mess it all up. Yeah. Uh, like it's going to spoil this, this like oasis I have. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, well, Steve, thank you so much for talking to me. It's so interesting, and and I just when I when I found out about your uh, your work, I thought there was a bit of an overlap there, and uh, for sure, you know, there are more questions than than answers. But uh, but I like that we're sort of you know circling around the the things at the core. Um, yeah. I have one more question for you, which is the question I ask everyone I interview, which is, uh, is there a type of music that you just have never been able to uh, un- like or understand why people like. Is there a kind of music that's off? That's that, yeah. That turns you off completely. Yeah, it's um, it's like the the pop country stuff for me. You know? That's a very common answer to a lot of people. <laughs> right. Like I can. I think I can kind of understand like the the real like outlaw country stuff. You know, it, that's it. Just feels a little grittier and more authentic. But then you know you put like the nice shiny gloss over over like some elements of that it's basically just like you know pop music with like twangy vocals and slide guitar here and there and you know i'm thinking like but 
and then the people who are really into it kind of like embrace this culture of like like we're like cowboys or something all of a sudden and like you live in the suburbs like what do you have in common with this like how does this speak to you really and and i don't know i mean it's like there's like there's some good songs out there but those songs could have also been translated to some other genre of music that that seems a little bit more authentic to me yeah yeah again you know back to the the, the question of authenticity and uh and th- that's something i mean yeah new country or pop country is a very common answer that i get to that question and i I'll, i can tell you that you know i try to be as open-minded as possible but sometimes when i hear that stuff too i'm just like there's something in it that i can't uh i can't hang with Um, yeah except you know everyone once in a while a song will come along that's like hey that's just a great song you know Mm -hmm. you can't front um well it's more you know more things more things to explore um well steve thank you so much for for taking the time to speak with me and uh i really appreciate it and uh I, I'm going to keep an eye out for uh, your future work and I wish you all the best of luck with it. Yeah. I'm all, I'm always happy to, to see people who like also want to, I don't know, lend some kind of legitimacy to, to heavy music. That's our show. I hope you enjoyed it. You can check out Steve Burns blog, metal health matters or some of his writing on Loudwire. I will put some links in the show notes. Um, just a quick note before I go, I haven't made one of these pitches for a while, but um, when I took the long hiatus of this podcast, understandably, there was uh, quite a bit of drop-off in the numbers. That's to be expected, but um, I'm out there trying to get it to people again, and I'm also trying to uh, shop around the What Is This Music book, so uh, I would love uh, for my numbers to look a little better to impress people, if I'm being completely frank. So if you're a fan of what I do, please don't hesitate to uh, put up a link on your social media or pass it on to a friend who you think might enjoy the podcast. Or as you always hear from all the podcast hosts out there, go to uh, Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Uh, give us a nice review. Give us a rating. Um, I would appreciate it uh, and I appreciate your listening and I'll see you next time to delve more deeply uh, once more into the question what is this music? <laughs> <laughs>